Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us through your word this morning. God, that, that you would change who we are, Lord, that you would unmake us and remake us into, into being more like you. God, that you, we would make ourselves available to be shaped and molded and, and to, God, not leave this place the same as, as when we came. We make ourselves available this morning. We, we offer our hearts and our minds, and, and Lord, we commit to this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So recently, I just saw on the news that um, in Israel, they have found yet more of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So they have found uh, more writing specifically, I think in this point from the, the books of Nahum and Zechariah. And it is just amazing how we are continually seeing the word of God proved over and over and over again. And it's, it's proved every day in my life. It's, it's proved every day in creation, but it's now also, and it has been, and is continuing to be proved in the historical record as we look at documents that are being found. And if we look at the history of scripture and we look at the, the wide variety of things that have been recorded. That, that variety sparks a need for attention. If we, we look at, at the fact that in Scripture, we see that the parting of the Red Sea is documented. In Scripture, we see that God's creation of the heavens and the earth is documented. In Scripture, we see that the birth of the Savior of the world is documented. All of those things are amazing, and yet all of those things are right next to what we're going to talk about today. All of those things are right next to the words between a father and a son when that father is on his deathbed. And it would be so easy to look at those words as being something that is only relevant for that relationship, something that is only important for the father and the son. But if we see that the, the sweeping, monumental events that take place in Scripture. This must be here for a reason. There, there must be something for us to get from this conversation this morning. And, and as we are given yet another window, we've, we've been talking about windows constantly as we've studied the life of David, as we've, we've looked at all of these different opportunities to, to draw from this man's life, and to, to understand maybe just a little bit more the heart of God as we, we look at, at how David has lived his life. 
And so this morning, as we look at this event, as we look at a hard moment, we're going to stop yet again, and we're going to take a moment ourselves, and we are going to think, and maybe you've experienced this before. Maybe this is not something that takes a lot of imagination for you, but for a moment, we need to stop and think, if I was in this situation, if I was, was about to no longer be on this earth, and if I had loved ones standing around me, and I knew that, that my time here was fleeting, what would I say? What is the most important thing that I would say? If we look at, at 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, we get to see what David said. David is, is speaking to his son Solomon. And this is a really important conversation for a lot of different reasons. It's important because it's one of the last times that a father gets to speak to a son, but it's also one of the last times that a king is going to be able to speak to the future king, the leader of an entire nation. And so David, in speaking to Solomon, shares these words, and it says, When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. He said, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. He said, so be strong and act like a man. Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all that you do wherever you go and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Now you yourself know what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me, and what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime, as if in battle. And with that blood, he stained the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. Deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai of Gilead and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother. And remember, you have with you Shimei, son of Gera the Benjamite from Bahurim, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mahanaim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord that I will not put you to death by the sword. But now do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom and you will know what to do with him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> and there's a, a lot of very specific things that, exist, that are, are happening in David and Solomon's life. And you're saying... I don't have a, a Joab that I need to make sure doesn't get any peace. <laughs> That's okay. There's still something for us to learn from this this morning. And so what we see here is that David is an old man. 
we have, have gone from this David here all the way to now David being the old man who has lived his life. He is on his deathbed. He's coming to the end of a 40-year reign. And what does he say? He says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Death is an unavoidable result of the sin that took place in the garden. Death is something that is unavoidable. It is something that none of us will escape. But there's an important point for us to remember this morning. And that point is that it was never supposed to be that way. It was never the, the, the plan for, for that to happen that way. Life was supposed to give way to life, to give way to life, to life, to life. And, and there was supposed to be an eternity with God. And the reason that, that death seems so wrenching, even if you are in right relationship with God, the, the reason it feels so broken is because it is. We should never think about death as being something that's, that's okay. Death is a result of the, the fall, is a result of sin coming into the world. It is an interruption to what God has ultimately planned. And we can celebrate that even in the midst of our mess up, which that's exa exactly what the Garden of Eden is, is our mess up. Even in the midst of our mess up, God has a plan. Even in the midst of our mistakes, God says that death will die. But David is here facing this inescapable event. And he turns to Solomon, his son. And as he, he speaks these final words, this, this directive from a, a father to a son, we we see that there are some specific points for us to pick up from this morning, five that we're going to talk about. The, the first directive that he gives to his son Solomon is to live a life of faith. In verse two, it says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. What does, what does being strong and showing yourself a man have to do with living a life of faith? <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure that David is not talking about getting to the gym, pumping up some, some dumbbells. He's probably not, not talking about, like, make sure you go out and hunt and fish a whole bunch. Go out and, and work with power tools. That's obviously not what we're, we're facing here. David knew where his strength came from. David was a man who knew where courage came from. David was a man who knew what it meant to, to be decisive, that, that his decisiveness wasn't rooted in his own strength. It was rooted in the strength of the Lord. 
David talked regularly about how God was his strength. He understood the theology of strength. That's the only reason that can work. That's the only reason that David can, can go up against a Goliath is when you understand the theology of strength, which is that I am strong in my weakness. I am strong when Christ is strong in me today. There's an important point for us to recognize, and that is that when we recognize that God is our strength, the quality of of my intellect no longer matters. My experience, the, the things that are going on in my life, those things no longer are as relevant when we come and say, well, it doesn't matter how weak or strong I am because my strength is found in the Lord. And David didn't just know these things because he had a good teacher. David knew these things because he lived them. He knew these things from experience. His his life is, I mean, we have covered this man's life for just nine weeks or, or maybe a little more. I don't know. I don't keep track. <laughs> but we, we've been following the, the exploits and experiences of this man, and we have seen time and time and time and time again that God is the strength in his life. This young man who walked down into the valley of Elah to face an entire army wasn't relying on his own ability. He was relying on the strength of the Lord. He, he walked down not with armor, but with a shepherd's robe and a sling. And in the midst of that, and in relying on that strength, he found victory. Be strong and show yourself a man. Stand up for the faith. And so the question this morning is, are you standing? Think about it from, are you standing? The way David is talking about here. Are you standing for your family? Are you standing at your your job, at, at your school? Are you standing in the face of temptation that exists in this world that we live in? Do you truly believe that God, the creator of the universe, is is your strength? Because what's the opposite? If we aren't doing that, what is true? If we aren't doing those things, and that therefore means that we are living a life of timidity, a life of anxiety, a life of fear, a life of indecision, a life of brokenness. Be strong and show yourself a man. And that's the way that David says, live a life of faith. The, The second directive that he gives is determine to obey. 
It says, keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping the statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as they're written in the law of Moses. So there, there's two parts to this piece. One is that we need to be faithful to the calling that God has placed on our lives. For Solomon, that was a big deal because Solomon was called to be a king. He was called to be the, the next king of Israel. And David says, know who you are. Know what God has called you to do. Be faithful in what God has called you to do. And so just like we're asking if we are standing, the next question that we need to ask this morning is what is your calling? What have we been called to? And it's, it's so easy to go through life without ever taking a moment to stop and ask that question of ourselves, to ever stop and, and really think about what is it that I have actually been called to do. The, our world is very much ready to just distract us to the point that that is never something that comes up. I can very successfully go throughout an entire week and never once ask myself that question of what is my calling? What is my calling as a husband in my family? What is my calling as a father? What is, what is my calling as the pastor of this church? What is my calling as a citizen of this city? What is my calling as a, just a member of the body of Christ? What, what is that in your life? What, what has God placed on you? And, and I can't answer that question for you. Goodness knows, most of the time I struggle to answer it for me sometimes. Do you take God's calling on your life seriously? If we have made the choice to be a part of God's family, we have already been drafted into service. You didn't get a vote to say, well, I'm going to help out now. When you choose to be a part of God's family, that means that you are now signing up for service. And we didn't get, get to decide. And God, in his grace, in his sovereign plan, he has determined that we somehow get to be a part of what he is doing. Do you take your calling seriously? There's a quote that I saw on Facebook. I'm on Facebook now, by the way. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> there was a quote that specifically says, we desperately need to explore how much of our understanding of the gospel is American and how much is biblical. 
Think about that for a minute. How much of our understanding of the gospel is American and how much is biblical? Are you concerned that potentially Western culture, that, that sometimes the, the nationalism that exists in this world can create a nationalistic Christianity. I don't even know if that's a word. Um, <laughs> Greg's nodding, so I'm feeling good. Uh, it, it can create a consumerist Christianity. God's calling doesn't just exist for pastors of churches. God's calling doesn't just exist for the people that you see on TV. It doesn't just exist for the leaders that, that are making the decisions of the, the direction of the Foursquare Christian movement. God's calling exists on every single one of us here in this room this morning. Do we have a reverence for God's call on our life? The second part to that point is that the call to obedience is to live inside the boundaries of God's revelation. We have these kind of overlapping words that exist in, in this passage where it says his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, his statutes. And the, the more you look at each one of these words you see that there's nuances that exist with each one. And in the midst of all of these nuances that exist with each of these words, there's this overlap. And so when we look at that overlap with the, the, the diagram and we see where the commonality exists, take scripture seriously. God's word is important and you should do what it says. I think it is the easiest way for us to say this. The, the law of Moses was the scripture of the day. It's, it's what they knew. Moses, or David is saying that we are supposed to live a, a radical life that is based on the revelation of God's word. Do we take God's word seriously? Man, Matt, I would wish you that you would just stop asking these questions. <laughs> is God's word lived out in your life in a practical, functional, rubber-meets-the-road kind of way? A guide to everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you choose, everything that you pursue, Ooh. everything that you desire. Everything that you think is God's word, the influence, the driving factor for those things. Is your life a picture of joyful, faithful obedience to the commands of God's word? I think the best that I can give you right now is sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes, for those of you watching 
not here in this room, we have the cutest baby ever right now that is just really excited, and it is awesome. <laughs> we are so blessed. Everybody keeps a law. Did you know that? Everybody keeps a law. The issue is who writes the law that you keep. Who writes the law that you keep on a day-to-day basis? Are, are the laws that guide your life, the laws that you, you make decisions and choices by, are they, are they God's laws? Are they his principles? Are they his perspectives, his wisdom, his promises? Are they based on his truth or do you work for yourself? We've talked before about it is so easy to put yourself on the throne of God and say, well, I've got this all figured out. And the reason it's so easy is because that is our default nature. If we are not putting any effort or, or thought or attention into this process, our default is to put ourselves on the throne and for us to write the law. Does God's law shape your marriage? Does, does God's law shape your friendships? Does it shape how you study? Does it shape where you put your attention? Does God's law shape your finances? Does it shape the the things that you do with your mind, the things that, that you focus on? Again, does it shape our direction or our desires? Is there a gap between what we confess that that we are in allegiance with God the Father? Is there there a gap there where where we say that, but our life, our actions, the, the fruit of those actions does not say that that's true? What we see here in this scripture is a father who is talking out of his own sad, broken experience. This isn't David showing up to the party saying, I had this thing nailed down. If you can do half as good as I did, you will be just fine. No, this is David showing up, you know, that I use that illustration a lot of that race car that is just sparking across the finish line and it's just a steering wheel and a seat. That is David. How many really? Like, yeah, that was that was me yesterday. There is no way that David could share this wisdom, this knowledge, this direction with Solomon without reflecting on his own experience, without reflecting on the brokenness that existed in his life. There is no way that David could have shared this without feeling grief. As David's sharing these things, in his heart, he has to be thinking, I murdered a man. I I stole another man's wife. I committed adultery. I, I brought brokenness into my household to the point that my children were dying because of the choices that I made. 
you bet that every single one of those points, plus 10,000 others, were piled on top of David as he is sharing this wisdom with his son. And why does he share? He shares it because he wants his son to have better. To have a life where he's living by faith. Where he's determined to obey. The, the third point is that we are to keep our eyes on the Lord. On the Lord's reward. That you may prosper in all that we do. Wherever we turn. God promises Reward. Just like we all live according to a law, everyone who lives and is rational is in pursuit of a reward. And Sometimes it's easy to, to overlook that. It's easy to say, well, well, that's not necessarily true. But the, the fall, the, the very foundation of sin entering into the world was based on the promise of a reward. You can be like God. People lie for a reward that, that's on the other side of that lie. People steal for a physical reward. People give themselves into sexual immorality. They give themselves over to pornography, to adultery for a short-term reward. And the lie of the enemy is that that reward is as good as it gets. If we look at every heart in this room, and I can guarantee you it was in Solomon's heart, if you read this, there is a war of reward that exists in every one of us. And the lie of the enemy is that the real reward is outside of God's boundaries. The, the real reward, the good stuff, is outside of what God would make available. God's way is a way of unique, eternal blessing. What rewards are we after? What treasures claim our heart? David's fourth point, he, he directs us and he says that, that Solomon is to live for God's kingdom. And in God's kingdom, that is where he will find the great reward. In verse 4 it says, That the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. What we see here is David's counsel to Solomon goes so far beyond just Solomon. It's a counsel that, that goes down and it looks at from generation to generation to generation saying, 
God's promises are true. God's promises are faithful, and they're not just for me. God's promises are for my children and my children's children and their children's children. Something bigger than personal blessing is at stake here. The eternal purposes of God are at stake in this conversation that David is having with Solomon. The eternal purpose of establishing the house of David for a Messiah that was yet to come. I don't know how much you think about things with an eternal perspective. I don't very frequently, and I should, and we all should. It, it's hard to live for something that is, is bigger than your life, that is bigger than your own experiences. It's hard not to, it's hard to have your day dictated by things that aren't your immediate needs, things that aren't your immediate feelings. It's hard not to have a me, mine, and, and my way of living. When I wake up in the morning, my mind isn't immediately filled with the grand purposes of God. Maybe some of you are. Most of us, when we wake up in the morning, we don't say as our, our first words of waking is, I must today live for something bigger than myself. And if you do, you can just leave. <laughs> it is so natural for our minds to be filled with the things that we want to accomplish today the things that we need, the, the everyday sort of cares that, that exist. But the life that we live must be an expression of something more than that. And while we know that God's purposes for his kingdom are sure, we know that because he is the sovereign God who sits on the throne, regardless of where I try to sit, Although God's purposes are sure, it is still our responsibility to, to participate with him. It is our privilege to participate in what God has in mind for his kingdom. What kingdom structures the life that you live? The kingdom of God or, or your own? The fifth thing that, that David very, very clearly says to Solomon in verses five through nine, this is where it gets a little gets a little contextual. He starts talking about these men that exist in Solomon's life and in David's life. And really what we can summarize this to say is that we should be dealing decisively with evil and we should be quick to reward what's good. 
Joab was seditious. He was a murderous man, and that evil needed to be dealt with. Shimei was a man who had cursed David, and that needed to be dealt with. David's saying, don't hang around with evil. Don't let it be part of your household. Don't let it infect. Don't open yourself up to the influences that can come from people like that. Do you deal decisively with what God says is wrong in your life? Do you deal decisively with things that you know are evil in your life? It's easy to to hear these words and and kind of fast forward in the book a little bit to the New Testament teaching where if your eye offends you, gouge it out. Or if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. That's called being decisive. That's called being decisive with the evil that may exist in your life. (laughs) David also says, reward what is good. He's talking about taking these sons of these, this family who were kind that, that helped him in the midst of a struggle. Make them part of your household. Bring in the good things into your life. Encourage them, support them, love them, build them up. Do we look for ways that we can encourage God's spirit, God's work in the lives of those around us? So if we look at these points that we've been called to, we've been called to live a life of faith, we've been called to determine to obey, we are called to keep our eyes on the reward that God has for us and live with the the view of God's kingdom. Called to deal decisively with evil and encourage what is good. And what we have in this list of five qualities or or five directives are actually the qualities and the character traits of another son of David. What we have in this list are the, the same traits and qualities that exist in Jesus Christ. He came to earth to do his Father's will, and, and every act, every word that came from him was, was bigger than himself. He was willing to have no place to lay his head. He was willing to be mocked, to be despised, tortured, to be put up on a cross. He dealt decisively with evil. And he brought good. He brought the grace that he was lavishing on us. Where our our sins have been atoned for. And so the question this morning finally comes to what is our hope? Our hope is not in our obedience. Our hope is not in, in our faithfulness. 
to God's kingdom. Our hope is not in our decisiveness or our best wisdom. Our hope is in Christ. Jesus Christ perfectly did every single one of these things so that we could have life eternal. Do we live that way? Do we live like Jesus Christ is our hope? Does our life reflect that? Do our, our words, our decisions, the, the actions that we take, does that reflect when someone else is watching? Heavenly Father, this morning we come and we commit ourselves to living a life that shows that you are our hope. God, we thank you that in the midst of, of all of these amazing events that have happened in history, we see this intimate interaction between a father and a son that shows us a portrait of how we are to live. God, as we go from this place and we go into our workplaces, as we go into our, our marital relationships, as we go into uh, the, potentially a school place, if we, we go out into the public and we interact with people that do not know that you are God, Lord, we ask that, that our lives and our actions would, would show that there is hope that there is a hope beyond their best efforts. There is a hope beyond the events and the, the choices that, that exist in this world that, God, you reign on your throne. Lord, as we go from this place, I ask that you would bless every person that's here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop.